You know, deep down, I believe that uh, every Christian has a sense that they're on the planet for more than just uh, procreation or having a career or going on some exciting holidays and all these things are good, paying the bills, loving our families and friends. You know, I believe deep down that we believe that even though that's what makes up most people's lives just doing all those things that as a Christian that there's something deep down that goes you know what life is more than just all of those things all those things are good and uh and exciting and fun but but there's something deeper we're here for something more than just that you know even going to church even worshiping God hearing a message and all that even that can become mundane it can become dry as Christians if if these things that we're doing are an end in themselves, oh, I go to church, uh, I sing some songs, I listen to a message and I go home. If, if, if it's an end in itself, then it will soon become dry, it'll become mundane, it'll just become um, a, a, a habit, um, but will not have the life, the excitement, the high octane joy and enthusiasm that the Christian life is meant to have. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life in abundance, an exciting life where you, I'm not saying every day is like this, but you know, where we, where we, we feel like there's a reason that we're on the planet. There's, there, I get up because I've got something to do today. God has got me here and I'm in a big picture. I, I, I've, I've got a reason to exist. And there's many people on the planet today, unfortunately many uh, young people, young adults, teenagers, who feel like there is no reason to be here and that it would be better if they weren't and you know teen suicide is the biggest killer uh, of young people in our country um, and so th there's an epidemic of people feeling like what why am I here that it's there's got to be more than just the stuff that we do every day and the Bible makes it clear that we are here as part of God's great purpose for this planet God's purpose for you and for I and for everybody is not just to go to heaven one day when you die. That's not the Bible story. Oh, I asked Jesus into my life because when I die, uh, I'll go to heaven. Yes, that is part of the promise. But the other part of, if you read through Jesus' words and what he represented, what he said to people was, yes, there is eternity, which is awesome and, and important. And a big, obviously, eternity is a great big thing <laughs> I don't know how big but eternity is pretty big but the Bible makes it clear that it's not just about getting to heaven when you die that that living life while we're here making the most of the gift that God has given us the gift of life uh, is part of our calling is part of the Christian life to be an influencer to have an impact on people that are in your world and you use the gifts, the talents and the abilities that God has given us to make a difference. That is the Christian message. And Colossians, in Colossians 1.28, Paul talks about uh, the, the purpose, if you like, of the church, the purpose of God in the world and what we're a part of. He said, Him we preach, talking about Jesus, Him we preach, admonishing or, or encouraging everyone and instructing everyone so that we may bring everyone into God's presence. So come into an encounter with Jesus Christ, come into a, have an encounter with God so they experience Him. Everyone into God's presence as a full-grown person 
in Christ. So what's he saying there? What's he saying there is that there's actually a journey. That you don't come to Christ one day and then that's it. He's saying that we grow in our relationship with God. We grow in our understanding of why we're here and what part we're playing and how we contribute to the big picture. It's easy to feel like, oh, what I do doesn't really matter. You know, there's what God's doing is so enormous and so massive and there's so many billions of Christians all over the world doing different things. How does my little contribution that I make at work or I make to my neighbor or I make in my family, how does that even really matter? But it does. Every single thing that we do, every word of encouragement that we give, every, every, um, every you know, um, prayer or direction or help or support that we're giving all contribute to the big influence that God is having in the world. Him we preach, admonishing everyone that they come into God's presence as a full-grown person in Christ so that we're growing in the knowledge of God we're growing in our understanding of what life is about and what we're supposed to be doing with this life and then he says to this end like an earnest wrestler I exert all my energy in reliance upon the power of him who is mightily at work within me (coughs) what's he saying he's saying that is what I'm focused on helping people grow in the knowledge of God understanding who we are and growing in the journey of becoming more like Christ and having more influence in their world for the kingdom of God. He's saying, that's why I use all my strength and my resilience and not in my own power, but by a power that is within me to do what God's called me to do. You know, God puts a power within you to do what he's called you to do. We can't do it in our own strength, in our own ability, with our own smarts. We do it because we rely on a God who says, I will fill you with my strength and my power. When you rely and trust in me, I'll make a way where there is no way. I'll lead you as you rely and you trust and listen to me. Now, that doesn't mean we don't plan and strategize and do all those important things. We just go, oh, I'll just, I'll just hear the voice of the Lord. And No, we do all those things, but oftentimes, like an example of that earlier this mo- uh, in the service where, you know, we had a plan and we had the run sheet we had everything organized but then sometimes God will say no I don't want you to do it that way I want you to do it this way or I want you to talk to this person to hear God's voice that is what the Christian life is all about and so having an alive relationship with God where we're hearing him that doesn't mean he's talking to you every single day and you know sometimes I've talked to Christians and they're like oh I get up in the morning and I ask God what underpants I need to wear I'm like he doesn't care doesn't care if you've got a G-string on. Like, really? Like, where you wear boxes or where you wear briefs? Lord, which, which ones, Lord? I've got all these pairs. No. I mean, God gives you a brain to make decisions around certain things. Oh, what shirt should I wear today, Lord? I, I need your guidance. You need your guidance in far more important things than whether you wear a T-shirt, long sleeves, short sleeves, stripes, plain colours. Go to Joe for your fashion tips. He'll, he'll get you on the straight and No, Ruthie's going, don't ask Joe. <laughs> what, we're, what we want to do is grow in the knowledge of God, understanding what he's about and how we contribute to that big picture. And so Paul is saying that's what his life was about. Now, it's important to understand that when he wrote this, he was not writing a lecture 
to the, to the uh, global convention of theological ministers gathered. He wasn't writing a thesis on ecclesiology, which is just what the church is all about. He wrote this to a church in Colossae that maybe had 100 people. Maybe. They're not really sure how many, but they think that at its tops it probably had 100 people. So when we read this, you've got to put it in context. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think, oh, it's written to ministers. It's written to doctors of philosophy, of, of uh, theology, all this. No, the letters of the Bible were written to churches like you and I, like this church right here, right now, so that we know how to live our lives in the power of God and make a difference in the world. That's what it's about. So when he writes this, he's not writing to ministers. So he's not just saying the responsibility of helping people grow and find God, discover the presence of God and, and, and grow in the knowledge of that and what they're called for and what how they fit into the big picture of all that. He's saying that's not just the responsibility of the ministers or the preachers or the pastors of the churches. This letter was written to the church. He's saying it's our responsibility. This is our calling. So when God puts us in a place, it's important that we understand that the workplace that we're in right now didn't happen by chance. God has put you there for ministry, which simply means to serve God in the place where you're planted. So the people in your world, the place that you work, the neighborhood that you're living, wherever you are, God's put you there so that you will be an influence for him in that place. The people you come in contact with, you go, I hate the people that I work with. <laughs> That's why you're there. <laughs> you can go home now. You've got clarity. <laughs> Oftentimes, God puts us in situations with people we don't like or or jobs that we don't like because he's, he's doing two things. One, he's saying, I'm developing something in you, and I want you to influence the others that are there too. So if you go to a place and everyone's going, this is crap. I hate working in this place. This place is a hole. <laughs> and you're saying it as well? Guess what? No one's getting out. But if God puts you in there to say, yes, I know it's a hole right now, but I want you to start encouraging people in that place to say, you know what? This is not forever. You know what? We can actually make this a better place. You know what? We can actually change our attitude and our mindset. And uh, although these circumstances might not change, the way we handle them can change. And you can turn the whole situation around, the whole department, the whole company maybe, because you've gone, you know what? I want to do it differently. They're the things that God brings into us to bring change into situations and circumstances so that we're not just being molded and shaped and fit into whatever's going on there, the culture and the attitude and the mindset that's there, but we can come in and bring change. Now, that, is that easy? No, but that's why God puts you there, so that you can bring something of God into that place. And it doesn't just mean getting up you know, and standing on your desk and go, I want to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> well, if you do do that... Good on you. Probably not going to get much uh, influence, but uh, they're going to go, there's a fruitcake. But you can get in there and, and do a good job, and, uh, but then when you're talking to people and they're slacking off about this or whinging about the boss or saying all these things, you go, yeah, yeah look, I, I know he's got his faults, but you know what? He's doing his best. We've got to do our best. Let's change this thing around. Let's, let's and pr say, look, I, I'm praying for our company. I'm praying for our department. Uh, I'm believing that God is actually interested in all these little intricate details of people's lives. And uh, 
and then number one, they know you're a Christian and you're praying and then things start to change around. I've seen it in my own workplaces before I was a minister, you know, and sometimes people don't like you and other times people do, but there's always change. Things always change. People start, because God brings change when he is manifest. How do you manifest him? You bring him in, you start to speak, you start to act. He manifests through us. As Paul said right there, I exert all my strength in the reliance upon his power, which is mightily at work within me. So it's not just the responsibility of me or a pastor or a minister or or people to make this happen. It's everybody's responsibility to help people grow. That's why we have things like Next Step. Why do we have next step? Because we're on a journey. So what's your next step in the journey? It's not just, oh, I just go to church. Yeah, but how are you growing in your knowledge of God? How are you growing in your relationship? How are you learning about what God's got for you? And so, you know, there's the next step, Bowie. You know, there's Christian Essentials. We're running a course soon, coming up soon. I can't give you a date right now, but outlining all the Christian fundamentals, outlining what it is to be a Christian, what we're called to do, how does that fit into our world? If you haven't done a course like that, you need to do it. Say it'll be three or four weeks, it'll be before church, and it'll be 30 minutes. So it's not like I'm signing up for the next 18 years of lectures. But so that you get equipped, so you learn, so that you grow so that you can do what God's called you to do. There's uh, Christian essentials. We have connect groups where you connect, you build relationships. Christianity is not just about believing, it's about belonging. It's both, working together. I just go to church and I hear a message and that's enough. It's not enough. It's not just about believing, it's about community, it's about relationships, it's about connections, it's about people. So connect groups, we, we got online Bible college and Bible college and people go, ah, I'm not called to be in the ministry, I'm not called to be a full-time pastor. That's not what Bible college is for. It's so that we can learn and grow and there's some people in our church right now that have started the online Bible college course and you can just do one subject, you can do, you want to learn about the Old Testament, you want to learn about the New Testament, you just want to learn about doctrine, there might be someone out there that wants to learn about doctrine. I love doctrine myself. All it simply means is doctrine simply means the doctrine of God simply means what's God like, really. If you want to learn what God's like, then you do a subject like that. There's leadership subjects, there's training, there's there's so many things out there for you to avail yourself of if you'll invest some of your time to learn and to grow what it means to be a Christian who is going to make an impact in the world. So Bible college, the presence conference. Oh, I don't want to spend two hundred dollars. Um, Look, it is, a, it is a decent investment in time and everything, but amazing things happen in those massively gathered, you know, 10,000 Christians worshipping and speakers and, and sessions and stuff that's going on where when you get yourself in that place, they, I, I can't tell you how many times God's, I think I mentioned this last week, God has spoken to me in an environment like that has completely changed the orientation of our life, what direction we're going on, decisions that we're making. If you've got big decisions to make, you need to get in the presence of God and hear His plan and His direction and His purpose. Because when you've got that, you've got faith, you've got clarity, you've got assurance. Even if the circumstances aren't changing, I know I'm heading in the right direction because I've heard from God. So Go to presence, register, um, do a Bible college course, get in a connect group, do Christian essentials if you haven't done that, find out what your next step is, serve in church, all of these kind of things. Now, you don't need to do them all at once and at the same time because you've got to have a job and you've got kids and all these kind of things, but don't allow the excuse of not having enough time to rob us of not doing anything. 
we've got to be growing and learning and moving forward and encouraging other people to do the same thing. So how do we do this? Three, three quick points. How long have I got? Oh, I've got hours. No. <laughs> um, no, I haven't got hours. We've got about 15 minutes. Is this any good? All I'm getting is the stunned look. <laughs> is, is he asking me to go to Bible college? <laughs> Number one, how do we do this? Number one, we have an outward rather than an inward focus. As an individual Christian and as a church, that we're not just looking inward, we're not becoming inbred. Nothing good happens when you breed internally. <laughs> Spiritually, I'm speaking as well. <laughs> You've got to have an outward focus. When I was, uh, one of my jobs before I was a full-time minister was I worked uh, for a consultant and they did sales. I'd been in sales and then I became a sales manager and I worked for some consultants that did uh, consulting and training and facilitating of sales training. And I worked for quite a number of retail companies and one of the hardest things to train retail staff and sometimes even the managers is that the customer is the most important thing that you've got to do in that day. And you do courses and training and everything and everyone goes, yeah, yeah, the customer's first, the customer's always right, we're looking after the customer. But when you're in the day-to-day -day trenches and you've got things to do and the boss is saying, oh, you've got to stack those shelves and you've got to do those uh, stock takes and you've got to do all these kind of things. You get all the staff running around and, oh, I've got to stack the shelf and there's customers standing around. We do mystery shops and stuff like that. Have you ever heard that where you go and pretend to be a customer? And, and, um, and you know, you'd walk up to a person and they'd be doing the shelf and you go, oh, just inquiring about this product. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's over there. And then they're putting this stuff out on this and helping them realize that, no, the customer is more important than stacking the shelf at that moment is actually a really, really challenging thing. You know what? And we go, wow, how silly is that? We do exactly the same thing in church. We're so busy doing the stuff in church and, oh, I've got this role and I've got to do this and I've got to do this and then new people walk in and you go, oh, oh, there's a new person. Oh, hello. And then off we go and, no, people are the most important thing in church. People. New people. Unsaved people. Adding to the church, that's how churches, you know how churches grow? New people come in. I know, that's like, that's heavy duty stuff. And people talk to them and welcome them and engage them. They go, oh, this is a friendly church, oh, I think I might stay. Who's ever been to a church and you've gone there and no one has spoken to you? Put your hand up. Look at that, nearly everyone in the church. How horrible does it feel? Who's been to a party where you, maybe you know the person that's invited you, but you don't know anyone else? Or maybe it's a wedding. So you know the people getting married, but you go to the wedding, you don't know anybody. You turn up to the reception, you're standing there, you don't know anybody, and no one's talking to you. Who loves that feeling? Yeah. <laughs> you're standing there, and if you're on your own, that's why most people take a partner. But if you're on your own, and you're standing there at a party or at a wedding or something, and you're going, oh, this is awesome. I love standing here feeling really awkward and embarrassed that I'm on my own. I think I'll have another five drinks. <laughs> it's horrible. I don't want anybody to experience that when they walk into church. Someone else's church maybe, but not our church. We've got to have an outward focus where we see people, not just, and yes, there's stuff that's got to happen and you know, none of this stuff happens by itself. It's all important, 
but talking to people, engaging people is the most important thing that we have to do each Sunday. Outward focus. Luke 15, 1 says this about Jesus. Tax collectors, who were one of the most popular people of their day as they are today. Who works, anyone working for the ATO? We love you. <laughs> Actually, they're pretty friendly when you ring them on the phone when they owe you money. <laughs> anyway. Tax collectors, and listen to this, this is the uh, message translation. Tax collectors and other notoriously non-church people often came to listen to Jesus. Notoriously non-church people. That's not just your average non-church person. These are people that are notorious for being non-church people. Work out for yourself what kind of people they are. But those kind of people were attracted to Jesus. They were attracted to him. Why? Because they felt accepted. They felt included. They felt safe. They didn't feel judged. They felt listened to. And in that context, Jesus was able to speak into their world and transform their lives as they said, you know what? I want to change. I want Jesus in my life. I want to turn my life around. Not like, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to fix this. You need to... That doesn't work. Jesus didn't do that except to religious people. But everyone else, he would include them. He would call them in. He would encourage them so that they got to a point where they go, you know what, I trust this guy. I want, to, I want what he's offering. I want to do what he's asking. That's the way it works. Um, this type of Christianity is contagious. This kind of Christianity is what changes people's lives. Um, so number one, an outward rather than an inward focus. Number two, connecting with people. All of these three points deal with people, connecting with people. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus not only preaching to the masses, although he did do that on the Sermon on the Mount, probably 25,000 people, they estimate. Uh, various times he had massive crowds of people and he preached to thousands and thousands of people and, and that was awesome. But you know what? All throughout the Gospels, we see stories recorded of Jesus communicating and talking with individuals. In fact, if you actually look through the Gospels, and I did it as I was doing this, over and over and over again, the writers of the Gospels have recorded Jesus having one-on-one -on -one conversations. Why did they record those stories? I mean, they only recorded the most important things, and God included in the Bible the things that He wanted us to know. And yet over and over again, we see Jesus talking and communicating and, and dealing with people one-on-one. -on -one. There's and you may not know all these stories if you're not familiar with the Bible, but there's things like the Samaritan woman. She'd had five husbands, and Jesus asked for water, and he starts having a conversation. It's recorded in the Bible. Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, an extortionist, uh, not a popular person. He was up a tree, and Jesus says, I want to have, I want to have a meal with you. And, and it records this one-on-one -on -one conversation that he had with this notoriously unchurched type of individual. Uh, Nicodemus, who was a guy, and John, who came and wanted to learn about God, he was a religious leader. Bartimaeus, the blind person, who called out, it records Jesus' uh, conversation with him. The cripple at the pool of Bethsa uh, Bethsaida, 
uh, the Samaritan woman with the child who was possessed of a demon, the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus the synagogue ruler with the sick daughter, the rich young ruler, Matthew the tax collector who became a disciple. Over and over and over again, it's recorded Jesus talking, communicating um, and connecting with people one-on-one. Why? Because people matter to God. People, individual people matter. God cares about children and, and work and places that, uh, and, and fears and anxieties and worries. God is concerned and cares about every one of those intimate details of our lives. He cares not just about the masses of the world, but you as an individual. If you don't know that, then you don't know God. If you don't know that, then you've not had an encounter with the God who cares about the personal details. I had my first encounter with God and, and opened my eyes to his character and what he's like when I was probably about five or six years of age. <coughs> um, we were uh, at the beach. My parents had taken us to the beach and we bought brand new surf mats for Christmas. Who remembers the surf mat? Not so big these days. <laughs> But it was pretty much a mattress that you blew up and had handles on it. You'd take it and ride the waves with it. And uh, they were big in the 70s um, <laughs> around the northern beaches. Anyway, we, had it, we got new surf mats. The parents took us to the beach. It was around dusk. I don't know why they were taking us to the beach at shark feeding time. But anyway, <laughs> maybe, they were, maybe they were hoping one of us would be taken and we'd cut down costs. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> anyway... I just remember it being dusk and we were riding the waves and I caught the last wave and uh, I came in on this wave and dad's going, right, we've got to go, it's time to go. We, you know, we'd already said one more wave about 20 times. Um, and so it's getting quite dark. I picked up my surf mat, we're about to go and I looked down and the handles were tied on by a piece of rope, that nylon rope stuff. Anyway, I looked down and one of the handles had come off. I only had one handle left on my surf, brand new surf mat. And I, I was absolutely devastated. I couldn't believe it. I said, we can't go, I've lost my handle. So having awesome parents that I did, I said, all right, let's find the handle, let's find the handle. And looking everywhere, can't find the handles, getting darker and darker. And I can't remember how long it was, but anyway, in the end they said, look, we've got to go. There's, we can't find it, it's gone. And I was absolutely devastated. And I remember... We had to walk up the beach to get to the car, and we're walking along, and I remember praying, and uh, we'd been sent to Sunday school and stuff like that, I remember praying and saying, God, can you please give me my surf mat handle back? <laughs> if you can do anything, can you give me back my surf mat handle? I was probably five or six years of age. Anyway, I prayed that prayer, sort of, I don't know if I was believing, half believing, but just desperate and calling on God, and Anyway, we're walking along the beach and to my absolute amazement, this wave rolled in and floating on that wave was my surf mat handle with the rope still attached to it, still in the handle. And I remember at that moment, seeing that come in and remembering my prayer to God and just thinking, how amazing must God be that he cares about a five-year-old surf mat handle the, the cry of a heart to answer that prayer and in it comes on a wave. I knew from that moment on, God is a good God. God is a loving God. God is a God that cares about intricate details of people's lives and he cares about you. 
God cares about what's going on in your life. And it's clear in the Bible that he cares about people. Do you remember the time you got saved? Do you remember the time that Jesus actually had an encounter and gave your life to Jesus Christ? You asked him to come in and you actually had an encounter with the living God. I remember, I remember the day, I remember the moment, December, it was December, I don't remember the exact date, but I know it was in December, it was 1984. And it was uh, at this sort of outreach, or the, we'd been invited to this thing and this guy had been preaching. And uh, I remember going down to Narrabeen Lakes on the northern beaches and asking Jesus into my life and saying, you know what, I know I've been to Sunday school, I know lots of things about you, I've been taught about you, but I don't know if I really know you the way this guy was talking about. And I knelt down and I asked, I said, Jesus, come into my life, I want to know you. And I can't explain it in words, but I knew at that moment, God had come into my life. Something had changed. I was different. I was saved. I don't know if you remember that moment. And you know, some people that grow up in church or they've been to church, they don't have, I know Nick who grew up in church as a young kid and she doesn't remember a specific moment, but she remembers knowing that God was there with her all the time. Uh, Isaac Watts, who was a famous uh, hymn writer uh, many, many years ago in the 1700s, but he wrote about this moment. He said, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. You can't have an encounter with Jesus and it not change your life. You can't. And my life changed from that, that moment on in various different ways. But not only is Jesus coming into our life a, a really important moment. But I want to ask you this. Do you remember the moment of actually leading someone else into a prayer that asked Jesus Christ into their life? I'm telling you, those moments are unforgettable as well. Those moments. I remember in January 1988, one of my best friends from school, <clears throat> I'd been talking to him about God and I took him down to Oxford Falls at the time. In January 1988, he went forward on an altar call, gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he's still a wonderful Christian man, father, husband, dedicated worker at Oxford Falls now, still there. Um, we cycle sometimes on Saturdays as well. And um, every time I see him, I'm just, I'm just amazed that God would use me to reveal himself to him, one of my best friends all the way through school. And other friends of mine who I've led in prayers and stuff, not all of them are still following the Lord, but... I remember that moment of, of praying for somebody else or bringing them to church and seeing Jesus Christ touch their life. Um, I remember my brother, who's not here today, uh, inviting him to church September 19, 1999, second service of this church. He came with his wife, knew, uh, reasonably newly married at that point, hadn't been really interested in church, came to church. And gave his life to Christ, September 19, 1999. The next Sunday, September 26, 1999. Tracy, some of you may know, Ron and Tracy are leaders in the church. That next week, I asked her, do you want to ask Jesus Christ into your life? And she said, yes, I do. Broke down in tears. Led her in a prayer. Uh, where's my, oh, they're over there. I remember praying for my dad and my grandmother. Christmas, uh, Easter 2000, the year 2000. Easter, the Easter service, and uh, praying for my dad and my grandmother who's passed away, 
and leading them in a prayer to ask Jesus Christ into their life. You don't remember, you don't forget those moments and uh, many, many other occasions. But I want to ask you if you remember the day that you asked Jesus Christ in your life, or do you remember a day where you've led someone else or brought someone else to church and they've had an encounter with Jesus Christ? If you haven't got a memory like that or a moment like that, I want you to set a goal and a, and a heartfelt prayer to be able to experience that opportunity because there is nothing else like it in the world. It beats the big sales things happening and uh, moments. I mean, there's great milestones in life that you have, but they're incredible milestone moments. And that's part of our heart. As a Christian, as a believer, that's one of the highest desires that we should be having, that we have an opportunity to bring someone else who doesn't know God and bring them on a journey to introduce them to Jesus Christ. There's nothing else like that. Um, and the last point, so that's connect with people. Outward rather than inward focus, just connect with people. And thirdly, letting others into your world. Uh, so not only reaching out to other people and doing stuff, but you've actually got to let people into your world. I mean, Nick and I, over the years, with different meetings and everything that we've had, I mean, yes, your house gets destroyed and all your, all your furniture and all your little intricate... Bit, well, that happens with kids anyway, but... Um, when you invite people into your world, it disrupts your world. And some of us, and look, I, I, I don't always find this easy myself. Um, I'm actually an introvert, believe it or not. It doesn't mean I, it just means that when I, when I get tired, I, I like to withdraw and be alone. I know you find that hard to believe, but Nick doesn't. <laughs> uh, and there's not, uh, many of you out there will be like this, but... Um, You've got to be able to, as if, if we're going to see church grow, if we're going to be influencing people, and if we're going to be able to speak into people's lives, you've got to allow them into your world. You've got to allow them into your life. Building, And sometimes we go, oh, I'm too busy, I don't have the energy, I don't have the resources, I've got all this other stuff going on. But we've got to be willing <coughs> to, to make more friends. We go, Oftentimes what happens is that we get, a, we get a network of friends in our lives. And this is what happens in church. And this is often why churches don't grow. Uh, most churches in the world are under 100 people, 75 to 100 people. And this is the reason why. People come into a church, they don't know anybody. They're really outreaching. But I, I, when a church gets to about 75, 100 people, there's enough friends for everybody. And when everybody's got enough friends and they're happy with their social life and everything, then they stop reaching out. They stop inviting people. They stop witnessing they stop they just go oh, i'm happy i've got friends and i've got a social network and i've got all everything full and someone else walks in and they don't know anyone well i don't need to talk to them because i've got enough friends oh, my my world's full that's why churches don't grow because people in the church stop they're, they're no longer willing to actually bring another person into their world because it takes work doesn't it you got to do small talk you got to get to know them you got to invest in them you got to catch up you got to but that's the only way it works. We've got to be willing to go, you know what, there's room for one more person in my life. There's room for another person in my busy world. I'm going to make space for more people. Showing Christian can compare, uh, care and compassion. Looking for ways to touch lives and help people and bring the gospel. Uh, picking people up from church or whatever or taking people home after church. Just using, the, a car is a gift, I'm telling you, man. 
you try living without one for a while. You soon appreciate. Who's ever put a car in for service and it takes a couple of days? You've got to catch the bus. You've got to catch the train. You've got to get around. You've got to get taxis. How much more do you appreciate your car, Alan, when you get it back? So helping people that don't have transport, doing all these kind of things, introducing yourself to new people into our comfortable networks and going, hey, you can come into our group of friends. You can come into our group of friends, not like, oh, well, you know, we don't want any more people. People matter to God. Jesus demonstrated in the Gospels that people matter. Even the God of the universe who came for one purpose, it was to die upon a cross. If you look upon his life and three years of ministry, much of that time was spent conversing with individual people. Would you do that if you were setting a plan? Hey, I've got three years, I've got to save the world. I haven't got time for these individuals. I'm just going to, I'm just going to get on YouTube. I'm going to do YouTube videos. I'm going to do all these mass meetings. I'm going to get the word out. But that's not what he did. He demonstrated that, that individuals matter. You matter. Your life matters. That your concerns, your fears, your anxieties matter. And that as Christians who are committed to God and understand his purpose and have a reason for being alive, then we understand that we can contribute, we can help, we can encourage them, we can build people up, invite them, connect them, be outward focused, connect with people and include them in our world. And you watch what God does not only in your world, your life, to expand it, make it bigger and more exciting, but church becomes exciting. Christian life becomes exciting. Prayer becomes exciting because there's so much stuff going on. Amen? Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you that you are at work in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you've empowered us and called us, not just to focus on our own world and our own finances and career and business and all that and that's all important it's all good and it it needs to be uh organized and it needs to be invested in but father that's that there's more than just that that outside of that is the great purpose and plan of god to reach people to touch people to encourage people to show the love of god to invest to reach out and bring lonely people in to create a sense of belonging to create a sense of inclusion to, to create a sense of value and, and, um, and value <laughs> in Jesus' name. That people matter, people are important, to give people dignity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity of being part of your great plan. Please remind us of this great high calling. Help us not to get caught up in the little details like the retail shop assistants, knowing that we've got all this stuff to do and forgetting that the people, the customers are the most important thing. Now, I'm not saying that people in the church are customers or anything like that. The point is simply this, people matter. And it's about people. The church is about people. It's about seeing them grow in the knowledge of God. It's about seeing them discover what it is that God's got for them and becoming full grown full-grown people in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. Thank you for stirring us afresh. Thank you for the opportunities, Lord, as we pray. I want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you to just begin to pray, Lord, give me an opportunity just to share my faith. That's a scary thought for some of us. You know, just go, wow, to actually tell people that I'm a Christian, that I go to church, to, to pray for somebody, to reach out, to invite someone to church. 
you've been finding church a bit dry, if you've been finding your Christianity a bit dull, if you've been trying, if you've found all these things not really working, then you're not doing it properly. You're not doing it properly. So begin to do these things. And I tell you, it's exciting when you've got to go tell your boss because he's going, oh, I've got a bro- he's got something wrong with him. He's got to go to the doctor. And you say, look, that's good that you do that. But I go to church. We believe that God can actually heal people. Can I pray for you? That'll make you alive. Or some situation that someone's fa- playing. And you say, look, look, I... I don't know if you believe in God or anything like that, but I do, and I know God answers prayer. I'd love to just pray for you and lead you in a prayer. And I've done this many, many times, and oftentimes people think, oh, you're going to go away and pray for them. And they go, yeah, that'd be great. And then you go, okay, we're going to pray right now. Can I just pray for you right now? They go, you know what? I've never had anybody say, no, you're not praying for me. I don't want any help. Never. You just got to get out of that awkward feeling and and be a bit bold and go and i'm telling you the amazing things that god can do when we pray and reach out and give words of encouragement and support and he wants to move in your world he wants to move through your world to touch lives and others and uh i'm excited about this year i'm excited about what god's going to do in your world in your life and in us as a church to reach people that don't know him and change their lives for the better through jesus christ Thank you, Jesus. You're good. Just as we finish up right now.